You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Thank you for being in Bible study. We're going to turn to the Word of the Lord tonight, and uh, we're turning to Psalm 91, and uh, going to read verse 1. This is uh, a familiar scripture to anyone that's been around church for a length of time. You've probably heard the scripture quoted, maybe heard it preached on before, uh, but this is what it says, Psalm 91, verse 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so tonight I just want to talk for a little bit about the refuge of the secret place. The refuge of the secret place. And um, uh, of course Martin Luther uh, was a pretty recognized person in history. He was the first Protestant reformer and the founder of the Lutheran faith. Uh, and he's universally regarded uh, by evangelical uh, Protestants, and uh, he become, uh, a, you know, a controversial figure, obviously, over time. Um, but he was also known as a person of great extremes. Uh, before he, uh, it's listed in history that there would be times when uh, he would go to confession, and he would be in confession for up to six hours. Uh, I'm not sure how much bad stuff he was doing, um, but he was known for things like that. He, uh, uh, it was marked by uh, his life was recognized by its energy and its excitement. And then he would be overcome with anxiety and depression. Uh, and so some, some even thought that he may have suffered from a bipolar disorder. Either way, uh, some of the most heroic moments uh, in history are attributed to uh, Martin Luther, especially the 95 thesis that was nailed to the door of Wittenberg Church, and I was blessed uh, in one of my uh, trips to uh, Europe to be able to go by that little church and and know and see where he had nailed those 95 theses to the door, and uh, of course, um, uh, if you've ever studied or heard about uh, the recant of what's called the Diet of Worms. Uh, these, are, these are things that he was pretty uh, in, involved in and known for. He, he had some uh, theological works that he, that he wrote, The Bondage of the Will, The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. Uh, obviously, he was part of translating the Hebrew and the Greek Bible into German. So he's, he's got a, a quite a bit of history. Uh, he, he wrote uh, an interesting song in the English. It's called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. That original story about that song uh, is attributed to Luther. There are some debate on how the hymn uh, came to be. Some think it was on, on the journey to the, the Diet of Worms in 1521 um, where he refused to recant his theolo theological positions. Uh, and in response, the Roman Catholic Church branded him as a heretic. And the, the Roman emperor uh, put a price on Luther's head. 
And it's only because of a, a supporter by the name of Frederick III that uh, he escaped into uh, that, that situation. And some think that he maybe wrote the song uh, to do with that. Uh, that. The hymn was written and music was put to that hymn in 1529. And the lyrics and melody are what we know for sure was provided by Luther. However, their origin, we, we don't know exactly what the situation was. But here, here's a, a little bit of what it says. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper. He, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. When circumstances flood in, even those that are a death knell to us, God's presence is a safe place. Uh, that hymn became a famous writing about the safe place of God's presence. The safe place. When you're reading the book of Psalms, uh, like any poetry, it is very important to visualize the image that's being depicted, particularly as it pertains to God. And, of course, it's important to pay careful attention to how Psalms are written. And there are basically three literary devices that we see in Psalms, and I'm going to try my best to say a couple of the words. Um, but the first one's personification. And the second one is anthropomorphism. I'll explain it in a second. And the third one is zoomorphism. And, of course, those are characteristics, human characteristics, uh, and each of them have a meaning. And we see it in this psalm. Uh, personification is when human characteristics are used to create imagery for something non-human. So the idea or concept may be better understood. And an example of that would be uh, the statement, justice is blind. Justice is blind. Um, the second one, I won't try to butcher the word again. It's something non-human. Um, is when something non-human or not a full human being is described uh, as behaving as it were human. For example, the phrase, uh, listen to your heart. Well, how, how do you actually do that? So you're, that, that's, uh, you'll see that type of wording a lot of time in, in the Psalms. Uh, the, third, the third type uh, is um, uh, when an animal's characteristics are used to describe an object, a person, or a deity. For an example is um, uh, when, when the Bible says that God might hide someone under his wings. The idea behind that is obviously it's a, a zoomorphism. It's, it's explaining something uh, to help us understand his presence. So you see these three types of examples, um, these literary devices that are often used, uh, and readers see these concepts, and, and sometimes we just read over them, but there's a reason behind everything that's happening. So, for example, Psalm 91 and 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, God's an invisible spirit. 
He doesn't cast a shadow. <laughs> so when the scripture says you're going to hide under the shadow of the Almighty and he's a spirit, then you have to try to understand, well, what, what's the concept that's being shared here? Because John 4 and 24 tells us that he's a spirit. The spirits aren't going to cast shadows. So the idea readers should be attentive to is hidden in, of course, the personified language. Uh, believers should live their lives in a position of God or being under God as the psalmist, uh, his life was, was hidden from others because of the sacred place that he was in with God. So God doesn't cast a shadow and he's, he's not a bird with wings. This verse is talking about a place that you can find yourself in in God's presence, that is a powerful, powerful place. And it's a sacred place. And the psalmist, uh, he had received restoration and hope in this place. And when we fully understand what the psalmist was saying, there, there's a, 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 it demonstrates the great need that we have for an encounter with God to find a secret place that you and I are safe. If there is ever a day when we need to have that secret place of us being in God's presence, it is today. It's today. The psalmist, he used buildings to personify the protective qualities of God. Much of Psalms 91, you can read up to verse 13, is, is spent. Uh, assuring the individual that God will protect them from harm. Words such as refuge and fortress and habitation. These are, these are words that are used. Although these words are not identical, they, they are all places that a person might live. The idea is being personified here that God, uh, God's dwelling is not just a place where an individual might go, but it's a place where an individual can live. And so when Psalm 91 is giving references like, uh, uh, like these, these places of refuge and fortress and, and a habitation, these are actually locations of God's presence that you and I can get to that when we are in his presence... There is safety. The, the danger is when we step out of the fortress of his presence and, and, and step out of habitating in his presence and, and we step out of the, 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 the refuge of his presence. Then we become vulnerable to the enemy and his devices. The idea of God being compared to a hiding place or as one uh, hides a believer, you can find that in many Psalms. I could give you many examples of that. Uh, hiding is associated with the desire for protection and safety. And so the psalmist, uh, he was making uh, a, a point that it's good for believers to seek God in times of trouble, obviously, and uncertainty. And the idea that's being that's being mentioned here in Psalm 91 personifies uh, us in a, in a particular way. And you'll see it from the idea of, uh, uh, of a feminine way. Now, I'll explain so that we hopefully keep on track here. 
Uh, Psalm 91 and 4, there's a zoomorphism that is being used by giving God wings and showing how those wings symbolize a shelter. That is the idea behind a mother, uh, a mother bird that protects her young. The mother bird will use her wings to shelter her chicks from the elements and the predators. The predators would not even be able to see the young underneath the mother. Now, I, I, I think I've shared this with you in the past, but I, I grew up, um, and on our, on our little hobby farm, we had banty hens. They're just little hens, banty hens, they were called. And uh, banty roosters could be quite um, aggressive in, in taking care of the women. But what was so interesting is these banny hens would sometimes lay 10, 12, 15 eggs, and they would all hatch. And it was so amazing. These were not big hens. Uh, but all of those little chicks would be hiding underneath the mother. And how they all got under there, it was, I mean, you, you, there's no, they would keep coming out, coming out. It's like, how? That's not possible. There's not enough hen to cover that many chicks. Um, when you look at this, you see um, the name of God is translated Almighty in the Hebrew, or meaning El Shaddai. And one possible interpretation of El Shaddai is connected to a Hebrew meaning of, of the word for breast. And, and it embodies an intimacy and a nurturing that God does for you and I if we're willing to come to him. He is so desiring to take care of us. He, without question, is wanting us to uh, approach him like a mother hen would her chicks or as a mother would her child where there is everything on the table of protecting that child or chicks from the enemy. The image of God is a nurturer. And God is the protector who provides physical and emotional safety for an individual seeking protection. And it's important to remember that, that God is genderless. He's a spirit. Adam and Eve were gendered beings, and uh, uh, yet both were equally made in the image of God. All people are made in the image of God, yet we're separate being male and female. The idea is that God is not a respecter of persons of who he nurtures and protects. When he says that he wants you to come and dwell in a secret place and be under the shadow of the Almighty, nobody, nobody is excluded from that opportunity. And so the image that's being given, the, the image is, is being uh, demonstrated that God so desires 
for us to be protected by his presence. Now, prayer is, is, is how a secret and a sacred place is created. Of course, that, that connection through prayer with God brings us into his presence and understanding the, the, the need to stay in his presence. Prayer is a place of freedom and liberation where believers can express themselves to God openly and honestly, yet God protects you from other people. Here, here's the interesting thing. You can actually tell God exactly how you feel. Because he already knows. We tell others, you know, well, you know, we're doing good. You know, and, and we fake it until we make it. And you, don't, you don't pull any wool over God's eyes. You can come right into his presence and say, God, I have no idea what's happening. I don't understand one thing of what's taking place. And he sees the sincerity and the honesty of how you feel because he knows exactly how you feel. There is the very intent of your heart that he already knows. And so there's just this hunger and a desire from God when he says you can dwell in that secret place or under that shadow. Uh, he wants you to be able to share everything on your heart and it's between you and him. That's an incredible thing. We pick and choose who we can talk to based upon who we think may be confidential, who's trustworthy, who will not be judgmental. Uh, we, we have, we, we become professionals at that. And sometimes people make mistakes and all of a sudden they realize, oh my goodness, I, I can't talk to that person. Uh, I'm never telling that person anything again. And we go through all, it's never that way with God. You say, well, I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to share what I'm thinking. Well, he already knows what you're thinking. We can trust God. Okay. Uh, many of us spend hours a day uh, sitting on a chair. Having this hope that it's going to support us. Have you ever sat on a chair and you were... Questioning. Maybe it was wobbly. Maybe there's pieces missing. And you're not really tr trusting. You, I, I mean, and we have this, we have this that we go through every day that, okay, I'm going to trust this chair. And if we didn't trust it, we wouldn't sit down. Yeah, uh, then you go through the, the, the next phase of, Maybe needing to stand on it to reach something. And we think, well, that's actually quite different than me sitting on it. And you maybe test it. Maybe you put it by something to hold on to. In case it does crash underneath you, then you're not going to come down as fast. We go through these simple things in life that we do every day. Uh, therefore, our lives are built on trust. 
Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's, it doesn't happen. Sometimes you learn you couldn't trust the chair. Sometimes it's... When you and I trust Jesus, you can be assured that you have committed your life into his care and he will never break your trust. He'll never break your trust. Uh, there's, there's, there's a position... It's an intellectual ascent uh, uh, through your, your position with Jesus that you can share your feelings, you can share what's on your heart, you can share what you're thinking, you can share what bothers you, you can tell him everything about it, and you know he's not going to judge you. We get so connected to the world that sometimes we forget that you can be dead honest with God about exactly everything that is a concern of yours right now. It's a wonderful place. And this Psalm 91 in verse 1 is talking about that kind of place. Where his compassion for you is already pledged. Nothing you say is going to increase or decrease his compassion for you. It's demonstrated by him already giving his life for you and I. He demonstrated that he would, he would execute justice upon sin that affected our lives, extending to us mercy without ever any guarantee that you or I would live for him. God was in Christ, the Bible says, reconciling the world to himself. We can take heart knowing that God has already proven himself to be trustworthy. So you can, without a doubt, trust him tonight with every detail of your life. See, Psalm 91, verse 13, the psalmist was speaking to a person who was seeking God's care and protection. And in the last three verses of Psalm 91, verses 14 to 16, this is what God says to the individual. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is an assurance from God that no matter what your life is facing, he is going to take care of you. Not only did the psalmist describe how God protects, but the psalmist also fe featured God pledging himself, pledging himself to protection and deliverance of those who will trust in him. Church, if we ever fully understand 
how we can lean upon God and not our own understanding. It will take us into a place of his presence that you won't want to live anywhere else. You'll want to be under the shadow of the Almighty on a continual basis. At many different times and in many different ways, God has pledged his faithfulness to us. So I have to make a decision. Will I trust in the Lord? While trusting a a visible chair, enough to physically sit upon it or climb upon it, that's, that's an idea. But sometimes handing over our entire lives to an invisible God seems like it's a bit, a bit abstract. The popular hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, was written by a person by the name of Horatio Spafford in 1873. He planned to travel to Europe with his family but was unable to join them due to a delay in a business engagement. And so, tragically, the ship that his wife and four daughters got onto to make their way to Europe, uh, it, it sank when it ran into another ship. Only Spafford's wife, Anna, was saved. And he traveled to Europe to join his grieving wife who had just lost their four daughters when the ship went down. And while passing by the spot where his daughters had drowned, that's when he wrote the words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well It is well with my soul. There is no way to make that statement or write a song similar to that without a complete trust in God. The first reaction is to be angry and upset and maybe guilt and all kinds of things. But to be able to write, it is well. It is well with my soul soul. Somehow, Spafford's trust in God granted him a resiliency that allowed him to continue living despite the despair of of what life had brought to him. And only true trust in God could allow him to ascend to such a place that he would be able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. God, church, is our refuge. In the Old Testament, God instituted six cities of refuge that would each function as an asylum for unintentional murders. An unintentional murder would be compared to something like our manslaughter today. God provided these cities because he he was concerned about protecting those individuals. Uh, the, 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 The honor and the shame culture of that day was to get even. It was uh, to, to uh, keep the honor of the fallen family member was to, was to take care of, of the person by, by destroying them that had, that had murdered their family.
family member. And God, he, he opened up this opportunity for people that their protection would be to get to a city of refuge. And yet in Psalm 91, he uses that word, refuge. He's the place. When everything else seems to be destructive in our life and, 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 and everything seems to be uh, trying to destroy who you are and what you are and what you represent. And that's when we've got to run to the place of refuge and find ourselves uh, under the shadow of the Almighty. And, and that's the place of his presence that you and I can be. God will protect you. Perhaps one of the most incredible accounts of God's protection is Paul's journey from Jerusalem to Rome. You see that recorded in Acts 21. God, God protected Paul from uh, the angry Jewish mob, uh, corrupt rulers, shipwreck, a snake bite, multiple times of being incarcerated. And, and God's protection afforded Paul uh, amazing opportunities to share the gospel. Paul returned to a mob of radicalized Jews of, of, of uh, which he used to be a, a former member and he presented the gospel and his conversion experience to, to people like Felix and the Roman governor and, and Festus, the, the, the procurator, and, and, and Herod Agrippa the king of Judea, you see in all of these instances, Paul, he rises to the challenge and, and, and it would have been easier to say, you know what, I'm just not going to cause any trouble and talk to these people. They're, they're nothing but trouble. But no, uh, he understood, listen, I've been through shipwreck and I, I was bitten by a snake and, and I've been incarcerated however many times and, 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 and God's protected me up to this point. He'll continue to. Paul had appealed to the Roman emperor, Claudius Caesar. He was placed as a prisoner on a ship traveling to Rome. And after experiencing shipwreck again, there was miraculous protection on the island of Crete. Paul finally arrived at Rome, and he was placed under house arrest for two years. And during this time, he was able again to share the gospel with a number of Roman people. And at this point, uh, the book of Acts ends, and, and we don't know all the, the history from there, but there's uh, quite a bit of indication that Paul even continued after that time period to go to Spain. God had put his hand upon his life, and even though all hell was breaking loose in his life, he was hid in the presence of God. Jesus intentionally entered into the midst of our troubles on many occasions, church. And he did this through, obviously, coming to earth. And the author of the, of the book of Hebrews uses that following, the, that this statement to open the book of, of Hebrews. After God spoke long ago in various portions and in various ways to our ancestors through the prophets, in these last days he has spoken to us in a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the world he came to take on trouble for us 
no matter what you and I have faced in this life, it has never been greater than what he has taken on for you. And so you and I can seek refuge in the Lord. Uh, we're, we're finite beings, and we need, we need time to rest, and we need time to be restored, and we need all that. You, you've got to take and make sure that you find yourself in God's presence. This is, this is uh, you can go all the way back to the very beginning. He instituted the Sabbath day, and you can, you can learn all about that, uh, of, of uh, what was instituted for man, and making sure that they were, that they were uh, rested. Adam and Eve, you would say, well, this was put into place when there was no need for rest. There wasn't sin. Nothing to tire them out. Yet rest was included. You see it through the life of, of Jesus in many instances. After Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. Jesus withdrew in solitude and prayer in order to obtain guidance before making a very important decision in his early ministry. He he, he, he took himself away for a time of prayer before he chose the 12 disciples. Solitary moments where he found himself in prayer. God Almighty needing to pray. After learning of John's, John the Baptist's death, the Bible says Jesus sought solitude during his bereavement. Just hours before he was arrested, Jesus took and went to the garden, and Peter, James, and John, just, just come with me a little while, and, 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 and they fell asleep while he was praying. These were, these were times that God found himself needing rest. And you and I are not God. Well, I mean, at least one amen would be good. Maybe you're so in shock that I said that just want you to know you're not God none of us are and if the Lord needed time to rest and to be by himself then you and I need to find ourselves under the shadow of the Almighty covered by his wings a place of refuge and fortress and habitation. Everything that you and I face on a daily basis, we can act strong. We, we, we can act tough and we can do all of that. But God knows. He knows me a way better than I know myself. He knows you a way better than you know yourself. And he is always wanting you and I to get into his presence. And it's in his presence that you find that assurance and that peace and that contentment and that refuge and that strong tower it's in his presence where you are restored and renewed and revived 
and re-energized. It's, it's in his presence where you can hear the, the, the stillness of his voice. And it's in his presence where direction and guidance is given. And it's in his presence where he speaks uh, uh, prophetically into your life. And he directs us in the areas that we need direction in. And it's, it's in his presence that he corrects us. And, and he brought, brings us closer to It's in his presence. If anybody was too busy to pray, it was God. I mean, he was, I mean, they were thronging him everywhere he went. Everyone's bringing the sick, and everyone's bringing, everyone's, they're trying to reach out to touch him, and they want him to come to their house. And, I mean, continually, can you, can you imagine there's no end to his ministry day? And if anyone could say, you know what, I, there's too much to do. Too much to do for me to pull myself away and go and, and, and find some solitude. If there's anyone that could have said that, it was the Lord. But yet he did. And he gave us multiple opportunities and examples that he did it. Not because he needed to. It was an example for us. As human beings, that our flesh needed to be in his presence. Just want you to read through that chapter 91 and think of it now as God nurturing you, God protecting you, God keeping his hand upon you. Not anybody else. You. He's your comfort. And he's your strength. He's your strong tower. And he's your guidance. He's your healer. And he's your provider. He is, he is your shelter. When you find yourself caught in his presence, you don't want to leave. I found myself in prayer this morning. I found myself not being able to ask for anything. Other than just taking time to thank him. And as tears filled my eyes and ran down my face, I found myself just thanking him for who he is and what he's done and his faithfulness and his righteousness and his holiness and his mercy and his grace and his compassion and his love and his understanding and his wisdom. Finding yourself in his presence and you don't want to leave there. You want to, you want to be there because there's a, a refuge that comes when you're in his presence and there's a safety that you feel in his presence and everything, listen, life is going to be there. Life is going to happen around every one of us. But the child of God can hide, not ignore life, not, not live in the real world. That's not, it's about the safety of God's presence. And when the enemy and the predators 
of this life are surrounding you. It's a good time to run under the Lord's wings. He's a big hen. He's got big wings. Nobody is going to harm anybody that's under his wings. When you feel a little overwhelmed and a little overpressurized, run to his wings. Try to find yourself in his shadow. Because there's something about his presence that will restore you. Bring to your mind a, a, a mentality of contentment and an assurance that you're going to be okay as long as you remain in his presence. You know what? We can be in the church a long time. And we have this sometimes mentality that arises in us. Well, you know what? I, I should be growing up. I should be able to handle this now. I should be able to make this decisions and what's necessary on my own. And I've been serving God a long time. And I should be able to be wise about this. Not what God's expecting. God's expecting us to grow and to mature and all of that. But He's never ever expected you and I to fight the battle that belongs to Him. He's never expected you to put yourself out on the line and say, I can I can step away from the safety here for a bit because I've been in church this length of time. That's He He doesn't want you doing that. He wants you walking right in his footsteps. He wants you right in his shadow. He wants you right under his wings. He wants you not straying from his presence. He wants you relying on him. He wants you to focus on everything he's doing. Amen. He must increase and I must decrease. He must be exalted and I must be abased. It must be him that's lifted up and I must be brought low. He's not trying to make you look bad. He just wants you to depend on him. not trying to embarrass you. He's sure not dangling you out there to see what you can handle. Listen, he knows, he knows everything about us. Just stay right close to his presence. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.